while. It's become an old friend, and I'm going to hate to leave it. Uh, but we are going to finish it up today. Uh, we have talked about, last week, we talked about the idea that it is a spiritual battle. And you need to know, as he comes to the end of this book, that's really what Paul starts to focus on, is he, he fo- focuses on this idea that, look, you need to understand it's a spiritual battle, it's real, Satan wants to destroy your life, he wants to rob you of things that God has for you. Satan really doesn't care how he hurts you or how he sidetracks you. Uh, he's not in your corner. And uh, he's a liar, and he's a deceiver, and he will tell you it's going to go one way, and when you head down that path, you will find out it goes very differently than you thought. And uh, so Paul talks about how we deal with that, and he said you need to, first thing you need to do is you need to put on the armor of God, and he talks about the idea that you put on the breastplate of righteousness, you put on a belt of truth, you put on feet with a gospel of peace. You make sure those things are on you as a Christian, that you have your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And then he talks about the things that you take up. And he talks about the idea that you take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. You take up a shield of faith. You protect your thinking with being rooted and solid in your salvation in Christ. And so Paul now has the Christian uh, dressed and ready to fight. And then he tells us how to fight. And uh, often, when we talk about the Christian battle, and when we talk about the armor of God, we don't talk about this. Uh, we don't talk about it. In fact, many of you have heard that there's only one offensive weapon in the Christian battle. But it's interesting, there's actually two. Um, the sword of the spirit is often referred to as the offensive weapon in which you can attack Satan. But really, the passage we're going to look at this morning talks about a second um, and if any of you read Pilgrim's Progress, it's interesting. There's a passage in there where Pilgrim is very, very um, uh, having a difficult time with Satan, and he's, he's having a, just a real struggle. And, 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 and in Pilgrim's Progress, he says he pulls out the sword of the spirit, but it's ineffective. And uh, it doesn't work. And then John Bunyan says, so he goes to all prayer and is able to win the battle. And he talks about the idea of prayer as a weapon that we have, and that's what Paul says. That's really where the battle's fought. So let's look at the passage, Ephesians chapter 6. Here's what he says. And pray, and he's gone through this whole section about, this, about the armor, and he says, and pray in the Spirit, and on all occasions, with all kinds of... Notice how many times all is mentioned in this verse, these verses. With all kinds of prayer and requests. With this in mind, be alert and be always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me. That whenever I speak words, may, that, whenever, that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. For which I am an ambassador in change. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. So when Paul writes to these people, one of the things that he says is, he says, look, okay, you're all dressed for battle. You've got on everything that you need. You've got all the, everything put on. You've, you've taken on what you need to take on. You've picked up what you needed to pick up. Now, pray. Um, and notice what he says, pray in the Spirit. 
This isn't a tongues thing. This isn't an emotional work yourself up to where it's some big emotional experience kind of thing. When he talks about praying in the Spirit, he's already talked about the Spirit of God in, in Ephesians 1 through 6. It's talking about the idea of your, your prayers need to be centered around the things that are important to God. Your prayers need to be centered around what God wants for your life, not what you want for your life. You know, you need to have dealt with your sin. You need to have dealt with what, what does God want in this situation. And, and, and you need to be honest with God. I have no problem saying, look, God, I, I'm, I'm not happy with this situation, and I don't like it, and I would love for you to change it, but if you're not going to change it, then you're going to have to give me the strength and grace that I need to handle it in a way to honor and glorify you. I mean, you know, you know I, people get mad at God, and they're like, well, I'm not going to tell God that I'm mad at him. He already knows. Why not just say it? You know, what are you trying to do? You know, it's like keep it a secret from him. I mean, you know, be honest in your relationship with the Lord. And Paul says, pray in the spirit and on how many occasions? All. Well, I think that's just a little silly thing to talk to God about. No, no, no. If it's important to you, it's important to God. Um, You pray on all occasions. You know, too many people look at prayer as, okay, I'm going to try everything else, and if everything else doesn't work, then I'm going to get people to pray about it. You pray about it up front. That'll be the first place that you go, not the last. And he says, on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. Um, literally, the two ideas here, one, one has the idea of general prayers. Request has the idea of specific. So, so there are things that we pray for in general. You know, Lord, watch over, take care of my kids. And there's very specific things. Lord, keep, keep Jimmy and Josh from making really stupid decisions. You know? <laughs> no, now we cannot comment when I use my children as an example. No, um, but I mean, you know, there's very, very specific things that I pray for. You know? Um, you know, if there's a health situation, I pray specifically. Lord, I, I would like to see you heal here. Um, I'd like to see you take care of this here. I'm very specific about what I ask. And then notice what he says, with this in mind, be alert. This is a military term. It means to watch over, to stand guard. It's the idea of somebody on a watch making sure that the enemy doesn't come. In other words, and, and by the way, it's an interesting concept when you study it out in Scripture because remember when the disciples go to the, go to, when Jesus is with the disciples in the garden and he pulls them away and he says, you know, you know watch and pray. You know, and they fall asleep and just watch and pray. You know, it's, it's, it's this, uh, this idea of being alert. You know, I think sometimes in, in Christianity, we just kind of have this idea where we're, we're kind of not paying attention to what's going on. You know, I, I always pray. One of the prayers that, and again, it's for the guy, one of the guys that I learned to pray from, he used to always pray this. Lord, make me smarter than I know how to be. Lord, give me wisdom to see stuff that I wouldn't see on my own. Um, to be able to have that kind of discernment, to be able to know this is a problem. There's something going on here. It looks like this, but it's really this. And he goes on and he says, be alert and keep on praying. Isn't it easy to have something on your prayer list or something that you're concerned about and pray for? And then after like about four or five weeks of it not being answered, you just dump it. I'm not saying you need something on your list till like you die. But at the same token, I think there's some things we give up on way too easy. I mean, I have people that I've, I've been praying for for 20 years. 
And I'm still praying for him because the Lord hasn't said, you know, move on. I still have a burden for that person. I still think that there's something I can do to reach that person. So I'm asking God to help me and to work in their heart. Um, Keep on praying. And notice what he says, for all the Lord's people. Pray for each other. Your fellow soldiers, you're, you're in this together. You know, red, green, you know, we're all in this together. You know, I, I think he's a phenomenal insight into human wisdom, red, green. If you don't know who that is, um, you know, um, I, I love it. You know, we're all in this together. Um, you know, if she doesn't find you handsome, at least let her find you handy. Um, I mean, you know, I, I mean... There's some incredible insight and wisdom there. But anyway, that's, that's my great philosopher. Uh, all the Lord's people, we're, we are. We're in this thing fighting together. So we pray for one another. We lift one another up. We encourage one another. We build up one another. And, and, and can I say this? I don't normally talk like this, but I do want to say this because I think it's important. The more influence a person has, the more you should pray for them. Because Satan understands that if he can get those people to fall, they can influence a lot more people because they have more influence. You follow me there? So while I covet your prayers because I have more influence, somebody like a Franklin Graham is somebody who we pray for even more because he has a greater influence. That's, that's, why, that's why we're challenged to pray for our leaders. You go, well, I don't like who's, leading, who's in leadership right now. I don't, I don't like the direction that's going. Can, can I make a suggestion here? I think if we would take all of the time that we take taking shots at, at leaders who we disagree with, and we would take all of that energy and we would just say, you know what, instead of doing that, I'm just going to go pray for them. And we'd be far better off as a country. But it's easier to just take shots. And, and you go, well, they're not Christians, so I don't have to pray for them. No. They're leaders with influence. Pray for them. By the way, that's commanded in Romans to pray for your leaders. Not pray for the leaders only of your political party. Um, because the farther you go in leadership, the more influence you have. The more influence you have, the more people are affected by the decisions you make. Therefore, pray for those people. He goes on to say this, and I think this is unique. Paul says, pray for me. Now, let's remember, Paul's in prison. Uh, it's house arrest. He's chained. Okay? So he can only go so far. There's a Roman soldier probably always with him. He is about ready to stand before the Roman leadership at which they're going to decide whether he lives or dies based on what he says. He is somewhat, if, depending on what we put together from Scripture, he's not an impressive figure at best. He's kind of weak and sickly looking. He's going to walk in before a hall surrounded by Roman military soldiers and a group of people who are in these fancy robes in this huge, impressive place made of marble. And he's going to go in there and he's going to talk about the things that they want to ask him about regarding Jesus Christ. And his prayer, I want you to listen very carefully to it, because his prayer is not about get me out of this. 
His prayer isn't about make it easy for me. His prayer isn't, you know, let me, let me go free. Then it's his prayer. Pray for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly. Some translations say boldly, as I should. He says, you pray for me that when I go in and I see this huge, impressive thing, and I want to back away, that I stand solid. That I make no apology for Jesus Christ, that I make it very clear who he is, and that I boldly proclaim my faith. That's what I would like you to pray for me. That's pretty impressive. Not, oh Lord, please help it so this isn't so hard different kind of Christianity than most of us are accustomed to. Lord, get me out of this situation. Make it easier for me. You know, Lord, I don't, I don't want to have to deal with pain. I don't want to have to deal with difficulty. I don't want to have to deal with hardship. I don't want to struggle. Help me to be bold. By the way, boldness was probably going to be pain, suffering, death. So I'm praying to get away from it praying to be strong in it. Big difference. Then, for the first time in six chapters, Paul gets very personal. Okay? Listen to what he says. Um, he then ends this little section. He goes into the next section. Uh, guys, what's the next verse? There we go. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, 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 you're right. I forgot about that. I, I don't want to skip this because, you know, when you talk about prayer, sometimes it gets nebulous and out there, so let me make it really practical. Here's what he tells the Philippian people. Don't be anxious about anything. It's a nice way of saying stop worrying. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ. So, Listen to me this morning. You've come in here and you're worrying about your health or you're worrying about your finances, you're worrying about your job, you're worrying about your kids, you're worried about this and how's this going to play out and what about this and I don't know how this is going to happen and what about this. Okay, stop. Stop. Pray. That's it. Well, you make it sound so easy. It kind of is. Well, then why do I worry so much? Good question. Let's see. You've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. You've decided that if you die this moment, because of what God says, you're going to spend eternity with him. You're putting all of your confidence in that. Then you go... I just don't know. I'm so worried about my finances right now. I just don't know if we're going to be able to make it. Are we going to be able to retire? Are we going to have enough? And we're going to be able to pay this bill? And your, your, your eternal life is okay. But you're going to focus on stuff that rusts and corrupts and people steal and break through? Really? Well, you know, I got this diagnosis from the doctor, and I don't know. I, you know, I, I, I may die. 
time out, you're going to die. It's just a matter of when and with what. And when you do, your faith and trust is in Jesus Christ. You go, oh, you make that sound so simple. Isn't it? See, here's the thing. And I'm not trying to be flippant, but I'm trying to be real. You want to know the difference between you when you go to a doctor and a doctor says you have this disease and it may kill you and me? You want to know the difference? They've given you an idea of what might kill you. I'm going to go get in a car and I could be in an accident and dead before the day's out. But nobody's told me that. That's the difference. That's the difference. I I say this all the time when I leave a hospital with a family. I say, you know what? None of us are guaranteed this day. So we trust God with the day that we have. And the reality of it is, I'm praying that you get out of the hospital. And I'm praying that you get well. We get to see you back in church. But the reality is, you may be at my funeral before I ever come to yours or do your funeral. That's the reality of life. Life is brief. It has no guarantees. You have this moment. You have this day. That's all you have. Don't worry. Pray. And notice what he says. When you have that attitude and you present your request to God, what happens? The peace of God. Ephesians says you have peace with God. The peace of God keeps what? Your heart and your mind. You're thinking. So here's the thing. When you get a front row seat to life like I do, when you've been in rooms where people have taken their last breath and you've walked the family through that, when you have seen what I have seen, here's the one thing you take away more than anything else. I have this moment. No guarantees past that. So make the best of this moment, this time. If I'm really going to trust God for my salvation, I've got to learn to trust him for my day-to-day stuff as well. And you go, well, it's so hard. I'm not saying it's easy. But if you want to keep your heart and your mind, you have to learn how to pray and take this stuff to God. And by the way, you know it as well as I do, most of the stuff you worry about never happens anyway. A lot of time, energy, and effort, isn't it? But you could have just spent praying, getting closer to God, trusting him. You know? Okay, enough. He goes personal now. Here's what he says. Listen to the next verse in Ephesians. I, I have a hard time saying his name, okay? Tychicus, okay. I, I'm, you know what it means? Lucky. So you know what I'm calling him? This is Lucky, all right? So here's Lucky for you, all right? Here's what it says. Lucky, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord will tell you everything so that you may also know how I am and what I'm doing. I am sending to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage you. Notice what he says. First of all, let me tell you a little bit about this guy. This guy was with Paul on his third missionary journey. This is the guy that when the church had to decide who to, who to give money to, to take back to the church of Jerusalem, they gave it to him. Um, this is a guy that first time Paul went to Rome in prison was with him. 
And now what he's about ready to do is he's about ready to take him. And he says, okay, here's what I want you to do. Here's a letter I've written to the people at Ephesus. I want you to take this to Ephesus. Here's a letter to the people at Colossae. You know that is the book of Colossians. I want you to take that. And here's Onesimus, who was the runaway slave, who Paul was with there in Rome. And he says, I want you to take Onesimus. And I want you to go take him back to Philemon. And I want you to give this letter to Philemon. And that's the letter that we have in our Bible called Philemon. So this guy is about ready to make that journey. But notice what Paul says about him. First of all, he's a dear brother. This is past just being a brother. This is somebody who he's close to. He's a beloved brother, as one version said. And faithful. Here's a guy who Paul has been able to depend on for all kinds of stuff. He's been loyal. He's been dedicated. He said... This guy has played an important role. All of the stuff that you've seen from me, this guy's played a big role in that. Because he's been with me side by side through so much stuff. And he stuck with me. When other people would have let go because I was going to prison, he was still there. And he says he's faithful and he's a servant. His life is about other people. It's not about him. He has been my side and done whatever I asked of him. The church trusted him enough to be able to say, hey, look, here's a whole bunch of money. You take it all the way. And, and the journey from Thessalonica to, to Jerusalem was a long journey. We're going to trust you with all this money to get it there safely. He says, You're, he, he, he's a servant. He's willing to do whatever I ask of him. And I'm asking him now to go to Ephesus and Colossae and, and, and to take this letter to Philemon and, and, and Onesimus. And I'm trusting him that he'll get Onesimus there safely to Philemon. And he says, look, you, you just need to understand, this guy, he's going to talk to you. You got any questions, you just ask him, because he's like my right-hand man here. And he said, and I'm sending you here for the very purpose that you know how we are, that he may, sword, encourage. He's an encourager. He's going to come and help you along. That's one of the reasons we're doing small groups. We, we want you to break it down into groups where you can encourage one another, where you can Feel comfortable enough to go, you know, I'm struggling here. I'm, you know, you know, I'm having trouble with, you know, I'm having trouble with my kids and I don't know what to do. You know, I'll never forget, you know, when I had trouble with my kids and there were people in the church that I could go to and, and, and say, hey, give me a hand here. Let me know. You know, they'd already walked that journey. Their kids were gone and they were able to say, well, yeah, here, you know, uh, you know, one of the, you know, and I talk about this a lot, but it made a big impact on me. One thing, I talked to a bunch of guys and they laughed at me. One of them got up and walked out of the room and they knew me enough to know how to deal with me. And he looked at me and he said, if that's the biggest problem you ever deal with with your kids, you don't realize how blessed you really are. I was like, you go, really? You have people that talk to you? Yeah, people who are your friends will tell you the truth even if you don't like the truth. And he was right on the money. I was make a bigger deal of it than I needed to. And I needed somebody who loved me enough to be truthful with me enough to be able to tell me that. That's the kind of relationships you want with people who can encourage you and help you and get you on the right track. And I just want to challenge you, because this is the kind of person Paul had in his life. And I, I would suggest to you that one of the reasons Paul was able to do the things that he was able to do is because he had this kind of person in his life. And you can be that kind of person as somebody else. You may not be a Paul, but you can be a lucky who comes alongside of Paul and help him. And I, I think it's so important. And then Paul does something that he rarely ever does when he ends this book. His last words, his PS, so to speak. Listen to what he says. 
And you, unless you've read a lot of it, you, you won't catch this. But here's what he says, Ephesians chapter 6, the last couple of verses. Peace to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all of you who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. Here's what he does. Rarely, I don't think ever, is it peace first and then grace. It's always grace and peace. I'm going to tell you why in a minute. Okay? Why, why I think he did that. Secondly, normally, he doesn't deal with third person. Peace to the brothers and sisters includes himself in this. Normally, it's peace to you, grace to you. He purposely does this in, in, in third person here. Notice what he says. He's, he's going to give you four things that kind of sum up the book for him. First thing, peace. You and I think of peace as absence of conflict. You need to understand that is not peace. I mean, I understand it is peace, but it's not peace. When the Bible talks about peace, it's not talking about absence of conflict. When a Jew comes up to you and says, shalom, peace, he's not talking about, I hope you have a, 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 a trouble-free life. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, I, I wish you wholeness of life. I wish you balance in life. I wish you a well-fulfilled life. I want you to have a peace-type life, a world in which you may have conflict, but you're okay with it. You may have difficulty and hardship, but you're all right with it. I want you to have a world in which you've learned to manage the world as you deal with it. So when a Jew comes up to you and says, Shalom, that's what he's wishing you. He's not wishing you a... You know, and when Paul writes peace, he's not saying, I hope you don't have any conflict. This is a guy who's in prison, who's chained to a guard, who is about ready to be stand trial and possibly executed, and he's going, I'm at peace. I, I, I'm okay with this. I just need your help to pray for me that I'll be bold when my opportunity comes. I want to get out of this. I don't. I, he says, I, you know, this is, I, and that's what I want for you. I want peace for you. He's already talked about the idea that you have peace with God. Now he's saying, I, I want peace for you. What this wholeness in your life? The whole series we're going to get ready to tackle and in, 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 uh, transformed is that idea. We want to look at our life as a whole, all the different areas of our life, and say, okay, let's let, let's find some balance in these areas. Let's find some. Let's find a way to. Be okay in these areas and healthy. Paul says peace to the brothers and sisters. And love. That brings up this idea of love. And of course, you know as well as I do, what's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart. And the second is like unto it, love yourselves. In the original language, it's literally one commandment. Love God and others. That's basically what it says. You know, Lord, what's the greatest commandment? Love God and other people. He spent this whole thing about loving one another and, and, and submitting to one another and caring for one another and, and, and putting each other first. And Paul says, that's what I want for you. I want you to stop being so self-focused and self-centered in your life. I want you to see other people that need what you have. To show the same kind of love to them that God showed to you, that God so loved that he gave. So you need to be generous in the way you approach life and people. When you have an opportunity to help, you need to go help. 
We have an opportunity to be the hands and feet of Jesus. That's what you need to be able, that's what you need to go do. And he says, you need to show that kind of love. And then he says, with faith, literally the idea is faithfulness. The idea of trustworthy, the idea of, of, of you can be trusted. The idea that no matter what comes down the pike, it's not going to rattle your faith. It's not going to rattle your confidence in God. You're going to stick with God no matter what because you know that God is on your side, that God wants what's best for you, that God will give you the grace and strength to get you through whatever you need to go through. And then you'll be faithful. Is that not what Paul says when he comes to his life, end of his life, what he wants, to, what he wants when he talks to Timothy? He says, I, I long to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Look, I've watched a lot of Christians start well, but they don't end well. They give up. They quit. We don't want to be those kind of people. We want to be the kind of people that we hang in there till the end. That we put our faith and trust in God all the way to the end. You know? And, and I think that's important, that, that faith and confidence that, that God, I, no matter what, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not giving up on this thing. I'm going to trust you no matter what. Again, this is a guy who's about ready to die for calling himself a Christian. And he says... I want to be faithful. He writes to Timothy, the end of his life. He says, I I want to hear good and faithful servant. It's not about me. It's about other people. And I've been faithful to plug away all the way to the end to do that. And God's pleased with my life. So that's what I want. And that's what I want for you people at Ephesus. And then he ends, bringing it full circle. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. He started in chapter 2 and said, For by grace are you saved through faith. That not of yourselves is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It's about grace. That God saw you as a sinner and came to this earth to die for your sin on a cross and extend to you a gift that he offers. You could not earn it. It's grace. It's offered to you out of his goodness and his love. And Paul says to these people at Ephesus, In the same way that God has shown you grace through his undying love for you, I want you to be people of grace as well. Here's what I think. I think this is a message the church is missing today. See, for some reason there's like two extremes with churches. And if you think about it, you'll, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. There are churches that focus on grace and love, and they, they, they throw out truth altogether. They're like, okay, what do we need to do to attract more people? Okay, so we'll change our doctrine, we'll throw this out, we'll throw that out, we'll just, we're just going to love everybody. And they think that's the message of Christ, and it wasn't. There's other churches that they're like, we're going to put on the belt of truth and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and we are going to hold to truth. And we're going to be people of truth and everybody else can, can change their doctrine and everything else. But we will never change. We're going to sing the same hymns till the day we die. And they think that's Christianity. And they think that that's what it's all about. So they pride themselves. These tend to be legalistic churches and places where they pride themselves on how well they know the truth and how well they stick to the truth. And I think it's important. 
But Jesus comes to the earth, and the thing that you see about Jesus is, when John is describing Jesus, he says, he was full of grace and truth. He never changes the core essentials of what are important with regards to God. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. They don't change. He doesn't change them. He doesn't back down from them at all. But he also, in holding to truth, shows grace. A woman at the well. No. The disciples. Truth people. You shouldn't even be talking to her. What are, don't you know what she does? Okay, we understand that you're God and you like know everything, but you missed it here. Okay? I mean, this is one you should have been... I mean, just look at the way she's dressed. That will tell you enough. And the disciples are, don't you know what they're going to say in the city about her? you being with her? Don't you know? And he looks at her. Shows incredible grace. With truth. Go and sin no more. I'm not going to back away from truth. I'm not going to ignore your sin. If you really want to follow me, believe. And let your behavior reflect your belief. I want to show you incredible grace. Grace and truth. Blend together. You know what the church, I'm afraid, what I see is both extremes. And these churches that want to throw everything out and embrace everybody, they have no respect for the truth. And, and we have to get back to truth. And we, we, don't, we don't alter truth in order to extend grace and love. But by the same token, we don't embrace truth without love and grace and compassion and understanding and, 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 and meeting people where they are. And here's what you will find. People over here have no problem with people of truth as long as they see that people love them and are concerned about them and see them as a human being and care for them. And they can stand over here and say, I may disagree with everything you hold, but I do have to say this about you. You care about me. And you love me. And you want what's best for me. And I think you're wacky as a $3 bill. Well, you know what? I'll still be your friend. And I'll still, because I know you see me and you care about me as a person. And Paul says when he writes to these people, you have been extended grace. Show grace. And my prayer for you is that as the world sees you, and my prayer for us as a church, I want to be a church, not on the hymn thing, but I want to be a church that, I don't have a problem with hymns, okay? It's just, it's such a silly argument to me. Hymns versus choruses. Hymns versus choruses. It, it, honestly, and I don't want to insult you, but I'm going to insult you. Get educated. Okay? And by the way, here's what I mean. Do you understand historically 
That when the hymn came out, you know, if I asked you what a hymn was, and I'd looked at you and I said, so let me ask something. Do you think, what a friend we have in Jesus? Name? Oh, that's one of the greats. Okay, do you understand that it was banned in most churches when it came out? You know why? Because up to that point in church history, we didn't talk about Jesus as a friend. That was sacrilegious. Jesus isn't our buddy. He is holy, 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 God Almighty. He's to be worshipped. He's a great big thing up there that has a great big distance. He's not our buddy. And many churches banned it and said, we're not going to ever sing that song. Now watch what Juanita will have it on the list next week. I know her. Um, you know, we'll sing, holy, 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 and then we'll sing, what a friend we have in Jesus. Um, I, I, but I mean, really, that was a thing. It was, it's an education thing. Now I have people come along, you know, oh, these choruses, we shouldn't sing them, we shouldn't sing Well, time out. If it's biblical, if it's solid, if it's doctrinal, give me a reason not to. You know? And it's like, you know, I just love, it's just a matter of preference, you know? You know, do you, you know, like modern art or classic art, you know? Do you, you like them, you know, and, 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 Let's just get educated, all right, on stuff like that. I want to challenge you with this. We've got to be people of uh, embrace truth, know truth, stand on truth. Don't, get, don't let truth get altered. Know what you believe and why. Know what the Bible teaches. Know what are the essentials and what are the non-essentials. Know what is, what, what, what is important and what, is, what is, we can differ on. But don't embrace this to the point. That we're not people of grace. If we're really going to be Christ followers, we have to be people of grace and truth. And we have to embrace both. And I just want to challenge you because I see this as a big I see this as a big issue for the church today. So let me get really personal, and some of you might get offended, but you'll you, you know you can go somewhere else. Um You look at the things you put on Facebook. Things of grace, things of truth. Get it. Have you ever thought about this for a second? You know, let's just talk about the hot issue right now, the abortion thing. Truth. Am I anti-abortion? You bet I am. Do I think that, that life is, is, is in the womb is a human being? You bet I am. Psalm 139. Have you ever thought about this for a minute? Because I do. Everybody's like, well, why haven't you like taken a whole Sunday and preached about abortion? Here's why. If I'm going through Psalm, we get Psalm 139, we'll talk about it. But here's why. Because I know people in this community that have taken their daughter to get an abortion because of an unplanned pregnancy. And they live with a guilt that they can never walk into a church again. They live with a guilt that what they did was unforgivable. I know women who, prior to coming to Christ, or maybe even as a young Christian, didn't know any better and had an abortion. And they come in to a church which should be a place of love and acceptance and grace and forgiveness and hope. And we're up here telling them, reminding them how horrible it was what they did. They don't need to be reminded. They already know that. People of truth 
people of grace. We want to be both. And what I say to those people who are struggling in all of those controversial issues that are out there, I will always stick with truth. I'm not going to change truth just to make you feel better. You need to know that. But I will, to the best of my ability, show you love, grace, kindness, hope, and a future. Because that's what my Savior did. And if I really want to be a person that is a Christ follower, I would hope that it could be said of me that it's full of grace and truth. And Paul ends this by saying, grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. And I think that's a great way to end. So I wrap this whole thing up and end this morning with this. Paul ends the book focused on prayer as a central aspect of our battle against Satan. He challenges us to stay focused on peace, wholeness of life. He reminds us to be loving and to show the world and others the love of God. He encourages us to be faithful and not allow the world to shape us. Finally, he expects us to remember that we are people of grace because of God's love to us. The world has to see a group of people who are different because Christ is in us. Let's pray. Lord, help us. Lord, it's so easy to be shaped and molded by our culture. It's so easy to jump on the bandwagons. It's so easy, Lord, to be so focused on what is right and what is truth that we ignore grace. Lord, it is also easy to focus so much on grace and love and acceptance that we ignore truth. Lord, help us to balance them well. Lord, may people see us as people who are trustworthy and faithful. May the world look at us and see people who are loving. May the world be able to look at us and see people, Lord, who have managed life in such a way that even though there's difficulty and hardship, there's a peace, there's a contentment with you. That, Lord, we have a confidence that can't be shaken. And, Lord, may that world, as they look at us, desire the Christ that is in us. And may we be a great reflection of that. And when it is all said and done and we stand before your throne, Lord, may we hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Guide us, help us this week, as we ask in your name. Amen. Um, let's stand.